Today on Semi-Intellectual Musings, we jump from deer fly injuries to head injuries in one midsummer evening. That gets us thinking about the stuff we love, the things we hate, and the necessities of life we just can't live without. This is Friend or Foe. Yeah, no room silence is good. Uh, do we get room silence? I got the room silence. Okay, cool. Are we starting then? I, whenever you're ready. All right, let's rock and roll, buddy. All right. So here we are with the Yankees hat and a uh, cloudy day. Yeah, it, uh, it's been pretty cloudy. It really stormed a lot last night. It did, and I uh, brought the temperature down. It's like 20 degrees now, and yeah. it's uh, it's chill. I really like it um, without the blaring sun. So, yeah. yeah, and I was able to get Ian Black from OTT Weather, uh, the CBC Weather, oh, yeah. to retweet uh, a little picture I sent of the storm over Val de yeah, when you sent me that uh, text, like, oh, hey, uh, Matt, uh, uh, this is your text. Yeah, voice. that's my text. Um, uh, hey, Matt, uh, you might want to check the uh, the Twitter feed. I uh, got Ian Black to uh, retweet us, and I'm like. And then in your voice, your your text voice, you're like, who's Ian Black? Who's Ian Black? I know, like, three Ian Blacks. And I actually do. <laughs> I know at least two Ian Blacks. Um, so I was like, oh, that's weird. Small world. And then you're like, no. The Ian Black kind of thing. Yeah, like, big big shit from Ottawa. So I'm like, who the hell is Ian Black from Ottawa? Yeah. So who's Ian Black from Ottawa? Uh, he's the CBC weather guy. He Listen to CBC. him like, uh, I guess, two or three times a day. He does the weather and yeah. And if you look at that picture, it's almost from like that perspective right there. Yeah, right? it was from, from the backyard. backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I was like, on the deck barbecuing. So it's kind of cool for the listeners. It's, it's the window that we look out when we're recording this show yeah. is basically the perspective that you had of that storm. That, that is very true. Yeah. And then when I'm on my balcony in like, you know, the Ottawa downtown kind of region, um, I can look out to the left and just see the, the hills, the Gatineau Hills where Phil lives. And see storms moving in. So occasionally I'll take pictures and I'll be like, yo, man, you might want to go inside or yeah. finish that barbecue. <laughs> yeah. No, you've definitely helped me out a few times. You're like, something's going to hit you in about five minutes. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> go inside. Five minutes later, it's storming. Yeah, no, it was pretty exciting. It's a beautiful picture. And uh, I was surprised at um, how many like impressions that got. And, yeah, yeah, right away. Pretty, a lot of people, awesome. a lot of people follow him. He's a, he's a popular dude. Yeah, take more pictures of the weather. I, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to for sure. Uh, well, speaking of outside, uh, one thing that I want to talk about is, uh, deer flies. So if you're new to the show, um, we've talked about all sorts of things that happen in rural life. This is like part three of the fly suite. Yeah. It's it's our summer fly suite. Uh, yeah. (laughs) SWAT. (laughs) It's kind of, kind of, we're not C-suite executives, we're fly suite executives. Uh, so yeah, we've talked about black flies, but I want to talk about deer flies, uh, because earlier in the week, uh, Tuesday, so Monday it was like really hot. Okay. Like very much too hot to do anything outside. So I put off cutting the grass till Tuesday, which was also very warm outside. So I decided to do it in the early evening. So I went out at like six to go cut the grass. And it's still like 29 degrees Celsius oh, yeah, it at was that time. Like uh, with humidity, it was probably about 30. Like I, like I didn't even have, I didn't even start cutting the grass and I was just soaked. Yeah. And that's 30 Celsius as well for 30, our American friends. C. Like we're not talking about 30 Fahrenheit in the middle of uh, summer up here. No, no. It's <laughs> like freezing, isn't that, it? <laughs> like below, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's like Lambeau Field in like uh, in December, I guess. I mean, we're a giant... <laughs> giant ball of ice most of the year, but well, we're not in, during summer. We have a giant igloo over our entire nation, and that is the greenhouse effect that keeps us warm in the summer. Yeah, and uh, there's a, theory? see, everyone has toques in the <laughs> igloo, and that's how we keep warm in the igloo. So you got acquainted with our uh, friends, the, uh, the flies? The, the deer flies. The well, deer flies, okay. Yeah. And, and those I, are biters. Uh? They're, I don't, yeah, they bite, they take a chunk out, so they're more like chunk eaters. Mm. Um, so I was just, you know, listening to my podcast, cutting the grass and sw- like swapping at these flies, like left, right, and center. Um, but I was wearing a short sleeve shirt, which I shouldn't have been. So my forearms and my elbows just got gnawed at. Oh God, the elbow is the worst day eh? because the skin is so close yeah. to the bone there that it's just like it inflames. And it's also a cheap. joint. Yeah, yeah. So it's always moving and so if So if you remember what happened to me for the black flies, which was like... A, <laughs> allergic reaction i remember what happened to us with the black flies yeah. but i remember looking at your legs and i was just like dude do you have any benadryl like because yeah. that that looked really serious so it was about i would say 25 times worse with the deer flies um i couldn't bend my elbows uh wednesday so by like tuesday before bed i was hurting Where took a benadryl took a tylenol 
So with your elbows not being able to bend, were they in a 90 degree position or a straight position? Well, no, I like, I'm just trying to get a visual. I could kind of move them, but not easily. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Like, uh, do you have an ice pack? (laughs) No. Well, she, she went into the office and I didn't want her to witness my uh, sadness. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not complaining about rural life. I, I really don't want to come off as like a wimp who complains about bug bites, but I was so tired. I almost slept all day Wednesday. I was hyped up on Benadryl and Tylenol. And at some point I ran out of Tylenol or I couldn't, I couldn't figure out where they were. So I took aspirin. I just, it was just a bad overall bad day. Uh, and then Thursday uh, morning. So I guess this morning, cause we're Thursday. Yeah. Um, I, woke I have no up, idea what day it is either, man. <laughs> so now, now I just have these huge kind of belches. Ugh. It's not fun. It, it it really is not fun. And that would be blotches, not belches, because belch is a burp, bro. <laughs> Are oh, you burping? No. Well, <laughs> Does it make you like just get horrible gas? No, no. Okay, I'm not. Well, like bumps. <laughs> I have huge bumps. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, so uh, today I went to a physio appointment for the first time in, I don't know, like eight years. I sort of swore off yeah. physio a little bit. They I found that typically with my situation, they'll be like, oh, you must have whiplash injuries. And they put that little shocker thing right, yeah. on you and then would put me in a on a bed looking directly in a fluorescent light and just close like a hospital gown around me, right? And they would just leave you there for like 15 minutes and oh, then charge you To like, try to stretch your neck? I guess so. But it's okay. like, then you get then you pay like 90 bucks and you're just like, oh, that was a waste. Yeah, it but, seems like bullshit. So my doctor's like, no, you got to go see this physiotherapist. Um he uh, does really good work with concussion cases. So I'm like, sure, Sounds good, yeah. I'm willing to try anything, right? Um, so I went this morning at 1040 and he spent probably an hour and 25 minutes with me, like well past oh, wow. like the time that you're supposed to. Um, he had to rush out and go to another uh, appointment. Um, he, it was crazy. Like he did some of the standard um, uh, tests that I would normally do from like a family physician. Like um, one's called the Glasgow Coma Scale. Uh, there's a number of different names of them. Um, but for the first like half an hour, we talked about my life, my research, like how it affects me. Like, and he was writing extensive oh, notes wow. the entire time. So like right off the bat, I'm like, this guy's listening to me, yep. which is unfortunately somewhat rare in medicine. And as we have both discovered, yeah, absolutely. So we, so we chatted and then he did these things and, um, he quickly realized that I have a problem with my vestibular balance, which is like my, um, center of gravity almost is yep. like out of whack. Um, like my chakra is a squiggly line, as I said to my friend yeah. the other day. Um, uh, so I knew that, but then he's also like, you're also like sensory overloaded and it's not like I do too much in a day. It's just like the world around me is too sensor, sensorily rich. Uh, you're not filtering the noise out. The noise is coming in as well. That's exactly it. So he, um, did these two tests on me, right? And, um, one was, he was just getting me to track his finger. And then when he went to the left. Like my eyes are falling, but they just start shaking back and forth. Oh, wow. And then I just start sweating and I'm like, oh, my brain. And he's like, okay, 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 okay. Enough. That was enough. Stop. And yeah. then it was fine on the right side. Okay. Um, and then this. Well, well that shows something. Yeah, it shows something. It also shows like, wow, that was quick that he like was able to figure this out yep. like that fast. So, um, so he's like, okay, we're going to try one more and then we're, we're probably going to stop. So he puts me in a corner and puts one of those exercise bands around my shoulders and wraps it around both of my arms and gets me to almost like pull it like taut or whatever. Okay. I'm sure there's a name for that exercise. Yeah. Like hands down on your side, feet together and with your back towards a corner. So if you fall backwards, you fall into a corner. (laughs) Um, And as soon as I close my eyes, I experienced weird nerve shit that I've never experienced before. Like it was the most overwhelmingly like strange experience and I started like sweating profusely. Tears were coming out, but I wasn't crying. Um, I fell forward into him and he had to like catch me. Oh, geez. And I was just like, no, 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 we don't like this. Matt no, doesn't yeah. like this. Don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> so I sit down in the chair and I'm like in a bit of a fetal position. He's, and I'm like, man, can you talk a little bit quieter, please? <laughs> <laughs> so it like just rocked me. So our next appointment, I'm going to be like in a dimmed room he's like, we're going to put you on your back and we're going to start from your back and just like very mellow. So don't worry. So okay, that's good. I'm actually really looking forward to it. It's um sometimes with my recovery, it's like there's bad pain where it's like I did too much and I overextended myself. And then there's good pain where it's like therapeutic. Yeah. And that definitely felt like good pain. I'm like, you tapped into something weird there, right. man. I so ho- like, uh, is part of the idea 
over X amount of time, like let's say three weeks or three months, that you'll be able to that exercise pain-free? That's the the hope, yeah. Or okay. we build towards something like so. Build towards it, yeah. Maybe I'm not on my back. I'm in a seated position or a standing position. But yeah, exactly. Oh, that it's sounds great, man. step by step, man. And I'm actually really encouraged because I I hear a lot of from doctors through my concussion legacy um, um, that there's nothing to be done, you know? So yeah. when somebody actually has some answers, it's very fucking encouraging. Speaking, my French. Uh, speaking of concussions. Yeah, and the Concussion um, Legacy Foundation, like, actually. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little yeah, bit about yeah. it? Yeah, so like Phil and I both listen to the same uh, podcast. It's called The Edge of Sports with... Dave, Dave's Iron. Thank you. Um, and this week, I guess, they had a uh, concussion specialist on and somebody who just finished their PhD in um, concussion research. So the concussion specialist heads up this organization out of Boston University called the Concussion Legacy Foundation, and they're the people, I mentioned this in the concussion episode, but they're the people who take the brain donations from the retired football players and the college football players. Um, and Chris Nowinski is his name. He's a former um, collegiate football player and also professional wrestler. And then the PhD student's name is? Uh, yeah, so the PhD student was uh, Christian Dotson Pearson. And uh, from the uh, Concussion Legacy Foundation, it was Chris Nowinski. Um, but they were really on to talk about the news from researcher Anne McKee, which showed that 110 out of the 111 brains of former NFL players showed signs of CTE. Yeah, and um, I remember quoting uh, Anne McKee in my uh, in my research yeah. as well. She's a, a big uh, name, and so is Chris Nowinski. So it was really cool to hear these people on who, like when I pass away, my brain is going to Boston and their donation center. So it's, uh, it's actually kind of interesting to hear that they're going to treat it with respect and yeah. and do good and, research with it. And what's interesting is, so it's probably something that has been known on the fringe for a long time. Um, but more and more we hear about concussions in sports, particularly about uh, football. Uh, so it was nice to hear this kind of new research, scientific research coming out that kind of is the first study of its magnitude and the first study to show a clear link between NFL players and brain injuries. Yeah. And the point that Chris made on the podcast was now that they have over a hundred brains, they're able to look at genetic markers and look at preventative factors exactly, and, yeah. and things that may be complicated. It may be like drug and alcohol use as a, as a negative effect. Um, so they're over that threshold. So now yeah. it's more of st- substantial research. It's no longer considered anecdotal. Yeah. Um, but the problem for the NFL is um, now they're, um, seeing a drop-off in participation, youth participation. So one of, i just say a side note that I thought was a good point is um, because they, uh, the Concussion Legacy Foundation has accepted all these NFL players' brains, they actually don't have very many women uh, donating. Yeah, and um, they talked about that a little bit on the podcast. Yeah, so there's one uh, soccer player, and she, I'm forgetting her name, but she's very well-known. She's an American soccer player. Uh, she's pledged her don- yep, to donate yep. her brain. And they're going to use her, that donation as like um, a marketing like tool, but um, in in a positive way, <laughs> I think you could say. Uh, the other kind of social aspect to the CTE concussion in sports link uh, that I found really interesting about this podcast episode was uh, the link, or I, I guess the fact that NFL owners uh, haven't really stepped on the field. The, they don't really have the firsthand experience of being knocked around. And uh, that was compared to wrestling ownership, where currently a lot of the, or if not all, wrestling owners have yeah. stepped into the mat, have been tossed around. And, and also, and, and promoters as well. And promoters. Like, yeah, like, so um, that's like the lingo that they use in wrestling, but promoters are yeah. former so, wrestlers. So yeah. what's interesting is to, to see the link between uh, how the sport responds to concussions and uh, who has actually played. Yeah. So, you know... I think, you know, a lot, uh, we can critique wrestling for a lot of things, but it is entertainment. And as the point that they made on the podcast and Dave totally agreed with Dave's iron agreed with it was you want long careers of these entertainers and you can't have a fleet of entertainers walking around with brain injuries. Yeah. And if we think of them, so in wrestling, um, they're less guaranteed contracts, um, and they don't have like an injury reserve list. Like if you, have a history of concussions, they could just sort of cut you. They don't have a union. And in football, there while there is a player's union, there is um, no guaranteed contracts, right? And that's why football players sign these big signing bonuses, but then their yearly salary is like 
considering like it's pro sports, but like peanuts, like a million dollars or so. Um, and they can be cut at any time for any reason, including injury. So um, if we think of these people as assets, as as commodities that need to be protected so that they're still productive, um, it's very fascinating. It's something that I skirted around in my master's research, that Marxist approach. Um, um, but because the people that I interviewed were not professional athletes, right? Right, yeah. But um, it makes a lot of sense and a lot of research around um, commodification of the athletic body, basically. So that's uh, Edge of Sports with Dave Zirin, and the episode's called The NFL's Concussion Calamity. Check it out. Lots of good stuff in there. Uh, before we get going, I have to, and this is a have to, thank all the people who have recently signed up to Podchaser using our beta code SIMPOD for their free account. Really, thank you. Uh, but did you know that it's also free to rate and review our show on Podchaser? And what's amazing is that you can review and rate individual episodes of the shows you love, which includes us. So uh, here's what we need you to do before Podchaser goes live. During this beta phase, sign up using code SIMPOD, that's S-I-M-P-O-D. Give us some ratings, some reviews, tell us the episodes that you've loved, tell us the episodes that you've hated. If you, you know, give us your honest opinion about the episodes. That way, when Podchaser goes live, which will happen soon, people will be able to find our show a little bit more easily. And we'll already have had some reviews on there. So that means that your name will appear first. So, hey, help us, help you, help them. Uh, That's Podchaser and use beta code SIMPOD, S-I-M-P-O-D. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. And that's like, um, it seems like the IMDB of uh, of podcasting. Hey, Matt, it is the IMDB of podcasts. (laughs) Slip that in. Look at me being a little Phil here. If you want to get... A hold of us. We're on Twitter at the underscore SIM underscore POD. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website is thesim.podbean.com where you also find the archives to the show. We have a Facebook page at The SimPod. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Give us some rating reviews on there as well. And while you're at it, check out the hashtag Potter and Family on Facebook or on Twitter. It is the gateway to some of the best indie podcasts and when we come back we have a whole new episode with great content yeah i'm really looking forward to this one Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is Semi-Intellectual Musings. I'm Phil. And I'm Matt. And on today's episode, uh, we're going to be doing uh, something different, something new, and we're calling it Friend or Foe. Now, if you're new here, Semi-Intellectual Musings is about putting the published world in conversation with your everyday world, and we do it through book reviews, we do it through interviews sometimes, uh, we do it through looking at nonfiction and fictional works, uh, movies, music, that kind of thing. Uh, so what we wanted to do today was kind of a mix of all of those sorts of things, including the everyday things that make us uh, kind of modern, I guess, in a certain way. Mm. Uh, but the things that we also kind of take for granted in our everyday life and kind of pitch it back between Matt and myself. Uh, is it friend or is it foe? So is it something good or something bad? Maybe it's something that we hate, something that we couldn't live without. Mm. Yeah, that's um, so he uh, mentioned this uh topic to me and um, immediately I'm like that's a good one I like it um, and the thought that came to my mind is in today's day and age when all debates that we have are contentious and um, fraught uh, I think it's interesting to have a space where we can have a little friendly debate and just have a little banter back and forth because we're not you know changing the world with this uh, podcast episode here but I think it's kind of fun to um uh, you mentioned this line, actually, make the strange familiar and the familiar yeah, strange. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to be doing today. All right. Uh, so let's get into it. We have a lot to cover. Yeah, for uh, sure. What's our first one, Matt? Okay, let's do this rapid fire. So I got for you, Phil, selfies. <laughs> what do you like? Do you like them? Do you hate them? Are they a friend or a foe? Give me something. Selfies. Yeah. Uh, so like selfie, like uh, ju- the Justin Trudeau style of taking a picture of Ooh. yourself with someone? The political selfie? The political selfie. Yeah. You like the political selfie? If you're a politician, would you do a political selfie? Yeah. 
Yeah, because you have to be a sellout to be a politician. Have to be. I don't. <laughs> uh, I I despise uh, the selfies of chicks uh, that then show cleavage way too much. Like the the oh, kind yeah. of upward angle shirting down your shirt selfie. Yeah, I despise those. And I I kind of despise the idea of um, comporting our bodies in such a way to get the best angle for selfies because you see them out on the street and oh, they take yeah, a picture. Yeah. And it men are men are women both like they're doing the exact same poses and it's just so that your angle is angled yeah. in a perfect way and the it sun's also the you. selfie also makes me think of that you're like too individualized to have real friends mm-hmm. but then you have to go share it on social media with like whatever people are on your social media I don't know if they're what friends do you or think not. of somebody who's taking a selfie while they're with other people yeah just get someone else to take a picture yeah exactly like right. I it's to me it shows a certain level of laziness I now so. I have taken selfies before. Yes, I have too. I so, took a selfie recently holding my baby in like our hall mirror and I'm like, wow, I don't know how to take a selfie. And that was uh, probably my first selfie. So. Yeah. So for me, selfie is a foe. Yeah, I think so. Strictly because of the selfie stick. <laughs> oh God. I get like some Japanese um, or Chinese inventor made a boatload of money off of oh. a thing that I don't like. It just extends your arm. Literally laughing all the way to the bank. All right. So, what's our next one, Matt? What do you think about the foldy camping chair that comes in the sleeve um, it usually has a little cup holder. The worst ones yep. don't have a cup holder. Foldy camping chairs, friend or foe? Uh, so my experience with folding camping chairs are those pricks who go car camping, who like uh, back up to their campsite, have like a cooler. I'm that music. prick. I'm that prick. <laughs> <laughs> Me and all my friends. You just called all my boys yeah. back home in Surrey pricks. Yeah. Better watch out, man. They got cousins. All right. Well, come, come find <laughs> That's me. That's always the I'm in the woods. Surrey, eh? I'll get my cousins out here. <laughs> so, so from that perspective, I don't like camping chairs, but I do use them frequently outside my house. And even when Mel and I go camping or when she goes camping, uh, we'll have them around like the base tent. Um, but we like, we, we both like, we'll put them on the canoe and bring them to our campsite on a canoe. So the things I like about the folded camping chair, one, they're very transportable, right? You can, they one are, person yeah. can carry five of them under one arm kind sure. of thing, right? It's kind of cumbersome, but whatever, you can do it. Secondly, they always have a cup holder, but the thing I hate about the cup holder is it never really holds a beer can, especially a tall boy, correctly. Like a tall yeah, can Yeah, it kind of wobbles over. Yeah, yeah. and you, so you have to take the first, like, drink the first eighth of it before you even put in the cup holder. Which generally happens when you're camping anyway. Another thing I don't like about the folded camping chair is invariably you'll be at a campsite and somebody's got a better chair than you. Oh. And you're just sitting there with chair envy the whole time. Chair envy. So like uh, if yours doesn't have the little leg stool or maybe a double cup, yeah, some, yeah. some of them have two cups. Yeah. Or the little like side pouch to hold yeah, your side pouch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, but then you're just praying that somebody is going to forget their chair and have to sit on a stump. And then you can all just make fun of that guy for the rest of the trip. So, um, okay. So my last thing about camping chairs is I have a bad back, horrible back. So sitting on a stump, is like a no no mm. go for me. I can do it for maybe thirty seconds. Does that foldy camping chair with that bucket seat sort of impression is that good for your back? Some of them I found. Comfy? Yeah, the ones that we have, I found. I've tested them. They they're good. Uh, some of them sit too low. Mm. Some of them don't have a sturdy enough back for mine. But right. the ones that we have, which are incidentally like the seven dollar really yeah. cheap ones, yeah. uh, actually support my back. So one more point in favor of the foldy camping chair. I have one that has the center little access point that has been broken, but is still sort of holding on oh, by yeah. Russ's screw. And it's all sort of like on one side, it's ripped. A foldy camping chair will stay together forever. That's like true. That, That's very true. But then at some point on a camping trip, some asshole tr- comes try to steal your chair, sits on that broken one broken, and falls yeah. on his ass, yeah. and it's the joke for the rest of the trip. You can also then use the metal um, frame to support, like, uh, if you need to build a fire and you need to support something, it doesn't burn. Oh, so I've used the just, metal frames for stuff. I just poke at the fire with it. Oh, you can. Yeah, I'm could. a bit of a fire so, agitator. Uh, so for me, the camping chair is a friend. I I'm think gonna, so too. Even though sometimes I hate the people who use them, it's going to mm. be a friend. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. So what do you got for us, Phil? Uh, okay, so the first one, uh, very different. Uh, self-driving cars. Friend or foe? So self-driving cars exist now. Are they on the streets, like driving around? Is that uh, now, or are they still in the testing phase? I think they're in the testing phase. I haven't seen any. Okay, so real projecting ones on in the street. future, what is the world going to look like with, say, half the drivers and self-driving cars? Um, I'm scared shitless of it because I read yeah. the dystopian novels too early, so I'm uh, terrified of it. But I will say, on the plus side, is that well, but then I'm such a Marxist that I can't say this is a positive because it's going to completely displace like delivery drivers, exactly. yeah, uh, pizza delivery people. Like all those Uber drivers, they're all taxi drivers. They're all gone. 
See, I'm, I'm sort of torn between it because like you, I think there's a disruption to labor that will happen with self-driving cars. But at the same time, I think there can be a very good advancement in sustainability with self-driving cars. I think the discipline that you can program into self-driving cars for them to be electric is a lot more valuable than the displacement of labor, unfortunately. Mm. So yeah. it's, it's, um, it sucks for the individuals or groups or regions, but um, it's I'll be great better for, for the, the whole. globe. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so I think, you know, for me right now, uh, self-driving cars, if they can get it to a, a spot where, you know, the low hanging fruit, right? So take like uh, your big delivery trucks and that kind of stuff and make them into driverless vehicles. Mm, yeah. I think that would be a, a, a good win. Mm. Wow. That's actually weird. I, I came in with like, I complete foe. I, I hate them. And now I'm like, friend. Yeah. I'm going to say friend too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What else you got? Okay. Uh, relatedly, uh, car air fresheners. <laughs> okay. So I got really excited when he mentioned that he might bring this one up. I'm like, definitely bring it up. Um, so I remember like I got my license in when I was 16. Um, but that would be like 1997 or so, right? 98. Um, and there was a huge fad of Asian car fresheners and they look like little boxes that you put on your dash oh, or yeah, yeah. you would clip them onto your vent and they would like have yep. a spinny wheel. Yep. And um, it was such a fad that there was at least three stores in our mall, local mall that were oh, the air kiosks. freshener stores. Yeah, I yeah. remember those. It's like car accessory stores, yep. right? So there, I have a soft spot in my upper fucking sinus probably oh. <laughs> from these air fresheners, but also a soft spot in my heart. There's something about that squash smell. That's what they called it. I don't know why. It was blue. And that was the thing that I had in my Hyundai Elantra with a detachable faceplate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Remember the 90s? Because I sure as hell do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to do an episode of the things that we love the most from the 90s at some point. And so car air fresheners, um, beloved. Okay. So friend, <laughs> friend for Matt. Yeah. Uh, I find that when you first install the liquid gel kind. Mm. So I've been searching for the best car air freshener probably for the last like uh i don't know 15 years yeah it's like the holy grail bro uh so i haven't found one that i enjoy <laughs> the trees the little cardboard yeah. smelly trees yeah. uh not not a big fan yeah but i will you, turn to them in dire yeah you need them in an emergency like you hit a skunk yeah or like <laughs> which happened to me once going out like to play golf with my dad <laughs> like in my case it was driving for like i think maybe nine hours every day for like a week and eating oh. mcdonald's and shit in the car and it's just like i can't deal with this yeah just awful fill smells yeah. so uh the cardboard tree ones not a big fan the liquid gel ones haven't found one that when you first install it just like takes a knuckle punch right to your gut like <laughs> The smell, the toxic smells that come out of there, like yeah. make you dizzy. Yeah, yeah. Um, make your nose hairs curl, as my dad would say. So from those two perspectives, don't like them. Yeah. But when you've just waxed and washed your outside of the car, done like a good vacuuming on the inside, cleaned everything, armored, armored everything, you got it nice shampooed and all that kind of crap, putting on the 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 new leather smell. Oh, interesting. Inside. I've never messed it, with that. It makes it, it's like you just picked it up from the dealership. That's amazing. So, you know. It's almost I'm like the torn. maraschino cherry on top of your Sunday. Sometimes you need the maraschino cherry. Huh. So, I don't know. For me, I'm. it's going to be a toss-up. It's. It can be a friend, but it can also be a foe. Mm. Kind of like a scorpion. Oh, you're going to come down in the middle. I'm going to come one. down in the middle in this one. Good to hear. All right, Matt. So uh, what do you have uh, next for us? Okay, I'm just realizing this should be the name of a punk band, but. Uh, Uh-oh. The boxed cheese grater. <laughs> so my like reason, the knuckle shredders, the knuckle shredder, yeah, and that's why I put it on. It's a perfect friend and foe because it is the most effective cheese grating tool. It is, I would say, and they have all the different sort of shapes that you can do. Even though everybody only uses that one, like uh, rounded one, um, but then yeah, it just ri- always, always either hits your main knuckle or your finger knuckles, whatever. I so what do you think, box uh, cheese grater? So what I like about them is that you have the various size of uh, grates mm. generally on them, either two or four. And uh, I particularly use those when I shred cabbage. Oh, Hard to yes. shred cabbage with other shredders. So I like using those. Do you, What do you do when you get down to the nub of the cabbage? Shred my knuckles, man. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> like, you're, not, like you're not getting around it. I usually just like, like some privileged uh, person that I am. I just chuck that at nub out. I'm like, forget it. It's just cabbage. So uh, box cheese grater is a friend for me. Yeah, foe yeah. for me. I've just done it too many times. Forget it. I use a handheld grater now. Oh, fancy. <laughs> so what do you got? Uh, next up, we, I have uh, Red Bull or energy drinks. 
Oh, so all energy drinks are just Red Bull? Particularly Red Bull. Yeah, there's something that pisses me off about Red Bull too, man. <laughs> yeah, but if you haven't tried Red Bull, you can imagine any other energy drink. So these are the sorts of things that you... Some people drink them every day, which is a little, you know, disturbing. But it's the ones where you're like fucking hungover from the night before and you pick up a chocolate bar, oh. a pepperoni stick, oh. and a Red oh. Bull. Oh. <laughs> pepperoni stick, you almost made me hurl, bro. <laughs> and that's what you go off to work with to try to God. sober up. God, you're so from Quebec sometimes. That is horrible. No, like on the West Coast, it's a Slurpee on the hangover. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Slurpee. No, or you... like, see, I kind of like the monster mocha one like and i've only had maybe four or five in my entire life right but they're always for road trips at like when i'm still driving at 1 a.m and i need to like just pound through another two hours of driving see the thing with the monsters is you can have one get through your drive and go to bed yeah the red bulls you can't just have one like you you have one of the smaller cans i don't even know if they still smell still sell sell small cans cans. uh but you have one of those small cans and then like the next thing you want another one yeah they're addictive man they definitely have the tallies i saw a guy buying four at once the other day the tall ones yeah red bull tastes like those crappy candies those rocket candies they take they like powdered kind of candies and they come in that clear foil to me it's like drinking rocket and then there's that whole kind of uh craze about putting jaeger was it jaegermeister and red bull together which is like uh, Jaeger bombs. What, Jaeger bombs. I don't know what that was about. Oh, that reminds uh, Red, me of the Mirage in Surrey. Red Bull. Boys back home. <laughs> I'm sorry, Red Bull. But if you do want to uh, send some money our way, we will uh, gladly uh, put an advertisement on a show for you. But for today, you are a foe. I'll take your money, Red Bull, but I'm not going to advertise for you. Suck that. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your next one? Uh, speaking of which, um, online dating. <laughs> okay what's, what's your story with that um okay so i'm a way earlier online dater before there was online dating sites i was uh trying to asl uh girls on uh, icq back in the day Uh-oh. icq <laughs> and um i actually have very positive um experiences with um online dating in the sense that yeah, i met a couple of girls on icq but then i also Remet my wife on MSN. Oh, so um, and then luckily we hit it off the second time <laughs> when she came back from her co-op. But um, I never had to go on online dating. Sites okay, again. so yeah, exactly. The, but ICQ and like MSN, they're not traditional online dating sites. No, let's, let's, no. they let's, just they were perverted into that form <laughs> by from, the users for, for many. <laughs> yeah, uh, but what about things like Tinder? I don't even know which way to swipe if you approve of somebody. What do you think? I don't know which way to swipe either. I've heard a lot about That's them. Good. And yeah. Hope I Mel's have... listening. <laughs> Hope our Mel's are listening. <laughs> uh, well, I know I know my Mel has had accounts and has frequented the site mm. uh, for curiosity or to find someone I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hopefully not while we've been together. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> took me a second to form that not. synapse. Um, yeah, I have some friends who are um, women, actually, a lot more women um, who are on the online dating sites and one of my friends told me that it's some ridiculous number like 90 percent women and 10 percent men um and that's why the men on these sites are so like disrespectful yeah so that's one of the things i don't like about it is the misogynistic kind of attitude that men take towards it but i do have one friend in particular which i won't name who's on it who's not a misogynist Mm. uh because he showed me some of the stuff he does on it and uh you know very respectful and i you know he finds people on there and they continue to have relationships. So that's good. It seems easier. Like it's, and like, I always had a challenge of like striking up a conversation in a bar or whatever. Yeah. Like I would just get too nervous or whatever. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, oddly enough, uh, doesn't fit my personality at all, but online dating, even the apps are going to be a friend for me, which. Weirdly for me too, actually. Weird, I came in, this is another one where I'm like, I'm faux this, right? Because you just hear horror stories, but yeah, friend. Yeah. Because it brings people together. Yeah. How can you be against that? Yeah. Just use, keep your, use the right keep way. your uh, intuition up there, keep, women. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next so one, yeah. uh, Batman. <laughs> I love it. Friend or foe. I love it. Um, so I'm I'm a friend of Batman. I hope he's listening. Uh, Bruce, if you're listening, uh, your secret's safe with me. Um, I don't like Superman, and I think that's why okay. I like Batman. I think Superman is a silly character. He's basically invincible. So what's interesting about that? But Batman, he's just um, a super rich, privileged guy with a bunch of toys. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. And an old manservant. Yeah, I think uh, the character <laughs> the character of Batman has a lot of pent up aggressive like aggressive tendencies. Yeah, and a lot of sorrow, which I can relate to. Mm. I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I think I contrasting uh, character. Contrasting character, uh, kind of mysterious, but not. Yeah, yeah. And so, he's um, isn't he a detective? 
I think detective. that's a, originally like that's what he was supposed to be. Or no, maybe it was in detective novels. I don't know what the hell that was going on. Well, with he there. kind of like seeks out the baddies. Mm. And How do you feel about Robin? Well, that would be a completely different question. Ooh, okay. So friend Bat- or foe Batman? Batman has to be a friend for me. Okay. Yeah. Same for me. How do you feel about Robin? <laughs> uh, Robin's a little sidekick. I don't want to use a derogatory, like insert derogatory name there. He needs to get rid of the yellow shorts, the booty shorts. I think that would really help his outfit or green shorts or something. He's got like weird little booty shorts on. And I think that's always strange. It is always he's the strange. boy wonder. And it's like, he is the boy wonder. Uh, I always felt that Robin was kind of what Batman uh, could have been if Batman wasn't so cool. Ah, like uh, if, nerdy if, Batman. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Okay. So foe. Yeah, foe. Yeah, okay. Okay, the next one I have for us, Matt, is AM radio. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so AM radio, uh, like apparently car air fresheners, has a special place in my heart. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I used to listen to AM radio uh, with my dad driving around. Oh, yeah. We would just make fun of the uh, callers on the call-in shows. We'd be like, oh, look, listen to this idiot. Yeah. Uh, um, but it was really um, interesting because naturally AM radio is – you know, either great music from back in the day or really interesting conversations. So it always sparked these interesting conversations about politics and history and stuff. So growing up in the country, driving pickup trucks oh, from sure. one farm to the other, AM radio all day, talk radio all fucking day. Yeah. Uh, I grew up on that stuff. And I feel like my inclination to podcast oh, for sure. comes from AM radio. Yeah, the same for me as well. That's the, probably one of the reasons both of us started this podcast. So yeah. Um, so Fo. No, it's a, no, no. So friends for both of us, friend, I think. Definitely uh, Uber friend for me. Yeah. <laughs> Uber friend. Okay, well, um, how about yoga pants? <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, so the reason I propose this, I have a pair of long underwear that is essentially a pair of men's yoga pants. Um, I feel like my ass looks great in it. Um, it really shapes around my calves. I got these, like, you know, beautiful, like, Tour de France kind of calves. Um, and I think... Um, I think my hammies look really nice too. I get a nice little hammy bulge on them. I like the way they wick. Mm. Uh, wick away, wick away yeah. moisture. I like. We're that. Almost hard to reach places now. I though like Mel has been trying to get me to wear them to cut the grass so that I don't get bug bites and shit on my legs. Oh my god, I um, need to see that picture. But I do. No, I haven't. I haven't. But I will definitely next time we go camping be wearing those. I want to. They're see They're just you. comfortable. You're able to stretch with them. I want to see you in a t- old t-shirt that you cut the sleeves off, tuck that in while wearing your oh, yoga yeah, pants, in a man tank. and then uh, cut the grass just because I want to see the the whole picture. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so for me, like the yoga pant can be worn in summer, can be worn in winter. It allows mm. you to stretch. It's wicking. Yeah. Uh, great pajama. Like if ever you're needing to sleep in a mummy bag, mm. they are perfect. You also feel like a superhero when you wear them. Like you feel like you're all just sort of ready to fight crime, you know? Yeah, and like I'm naturally kind of a, um, I'm not a socialite. You know, I like to keep to myself and I find the yoga pant keeps stuff to myself. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. You don't want to be hanging out all over town. Yeah. Ah. So yeah. for me, the yoga pant uh, is a friend. Ah, for, for sure. the cinching ability. Yep. Yeah. So friend for me as well. I would also presume that yoga pants are great for women. Maybe. Uh, the next I have is APA Chicago style citations. Oh, God. Fuck you, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, this is that response in me. You know where I stand on this. I don't know why for the life of me. There are like 30 different citation styles and every single discipline uses at least two or three different ones. And then there's just turf wars over how you use semicolons. Like what the everybody. Oh. So what gets what so what grinds my gears about citation styles? <laughs> what grinds my gears <laughs> is uh like you go to the library, you check out a book, right? And you can see you kind of how to cite it properly uh through their database. There are literally like hundreds of freaking options. Why? Because APA is up to their seventh edition now. MLA, I think, has like 30. Uh, Chicago style has like East Coast, West Coast Chicago. Oh, really? Like, Rap battle. I don't know. Over citation there's just, So like even within the style itself, there's derivatives of the style. Huh. So yeah, that's I don't understand why we need to have all these conventions. It is weird too. It's um even though they have like place names, some of them they're not like regional in any way either. So no, like no, no. someone will just randomly in Australia use MLA for no reason. Yeah, I don't. It's not. It, it's, it's not just, by region. I don't get it. Most of the lines are disciplinary. So That's right. like 
you know, history will use one style, whereas psychology will use another. And that's kind of how the convention started. Now, however, when you have cross or interdisciplinary journals, they just seem to pick it at random. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Let's use, uh, I don't know, Tai Chi uh, fourth edition for <laughs> ours. Uh, and this other one is going to use Chicago second edition because why not? The thing that makes me hate citation styles even more is um, when profs will like ding you or make you ding students for like missing the the period, missing the quotation marks, all these sort of weird little citation things in the bibliography, not the actual text. Because like I truly believe you should cite properly in the text of the the work, um, so you don't do plagiarism. But at the end, like in the work cited, like I don't care. Just give me the journal title and like. And the year. That's all I really care about. Now, that said, uh, citation styles are a wonderful device to be able to find other people's works. Without them, we would be completely lost. Yeah. People would just be writing anything and any convention. Mm. So uh, on the plus side of citation styles, they do allow us uh, to be able to retrace the steps of whoever you're reading. Okay, I'll be neutral on this just because they're, they're so annoying. That's why I'm neutral. Yeah, and I think uh, like... You know, if anybody wants to write in about their pet peeves uh, in academia, um, I would suggest uh, starting with citation styles. What do you hate the most about it? About cit- yeah, yeah, about citation yeah. styles, yeah, for sure. So uh, speaking about pet peeves, man, um, I I feel very strongly about this next one. Okay. Microwaves. Microwaves. Like, uh, uh, what, what do you <laughs> Why don't you like microwaves? First, I don't trust nuclear power in my kitchen. Um, I believe- Are microwaves nuclear? Hell yeah, they are. They're like they radio waves or something. Microwaves, Ra- microwaves yeah, not nuclear yeah. waves. Yeah, it's like a nuclear reactor. Don't worry. Don't argue with me, Phil. I got my facts. <laughs> there, there's not a stick of plutonium in my kitchen. Um, I had a very early terrible experience with the microwave where I put a hamburger in a foil wrapper into the microwave. Didn't understand. Well, that's just being that stupid. Well, I was like nine. They Well, they used to have stickers on them. No metal, no forks, no tin foil. Yeah, ours is like... And the other thing that with microwaves, it, it just dries shit out and it... I, I feel like it it radiates the nutrition out of your food. Yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of microwaves. I know how to use them, but I don't use them often. What do you use um, them for? Because I only use mine for like melting butter. My yeah, microwave I'll, is essentially like butter melting Yeah, machine. I'll soften butter with it. I'll, we'll use it for popcorn. So oh, uh, yeah, microwave like popcorn. if we just want You don't do stovetop popcorn? No, we have a popcorn maker that we oh, use. Yeah, but if, yeah. if like I'm alone and I just want a little bag, I'll, I'll just get a little bag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have been caught using it to warm up my lunch. I will yeah. admit, like, there's some stuff that you can't warm up stovetop or in the oven. Oh, for sure. That yeah. I've just thrown in the microwave. Like soups. But then when you warm no, up the soup. soup. No, so, so soups is one of the ones I will not put in the microwave. Yeah, exactly. I always put stovetop. Because when you put it in a microwave, it never really heats up in the middle. But then the outside, like the Pyrex or the glass or whatever, is like scorching yeah. hot. Like uh, steamed beans. How do you how do you reheat steamed beans? Steamed beans? Yeah. The fuck, you eat steamed beans? What is a steam bean? You take a bean and you oh, put it you in you a mean steamer. Like, oh, you mean like green beans? Green beans, yeah. Oh, I thought you, I was picturing like lima beans or something or no. like kidney beans. I'm no, like, you don't steam that. No, like a green bean. I thought that was some sort of, it has some sort of French name or something. It's no, no, a green domestic bean. to Quebec. So what do you think about uh, microwaves? Uh, they're a friend. They are? Yeah. I'm saying faux because they take up too much damn space. All right. So uh, my next one is uh, postmodern social theory. I love it. I love it. So the most difficult thing to define in the world, Phil, can you please offer a definition of what postmodernity? Okay, I'll, 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 I'm going to try to condense it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, some of the major postmodernists, uh, Jacques Derrida, Michel Foucault, Jean-François Lyotard, uh, Jean Baudrillard, uh, Paul Virilio, uh, some American postmodernists, Richard Wardy, Frederick Jameson, uh, the Canadian Arthur Croker. Uh, we could also lump in David Harvey, who's a geographer, Douglas Keller, Stephen Best, uh, Charles Lemert. Um so one of the defining characteristics of postmodernism is its opposition to modernist theory. So modernist theory see uh, a continual evolution of uh, humans and technology. So as time progresses, things get better. Uh, one of the tenets in modern modernism or modern theory is uh, things like necessity. So natural and social laws, postmodernist sees uh, contingency or chance. Uh, the second kind of thing that you find in modernism is the idea of universality. So things that exist across time and space. In postmodernism, they focus on the locale, the locality, and the particulars. So only one can know one's experience. That's kind of the tenet. Um, the third kind of defining characteristic of uh, modernity 
or modern social theory is a certainty and a predictability of things. So time will carry on in a certain fashion. Events will unfold. Uh, for postmodern uh, social theory, uh, it's a focus on uncertainty and provisionality, ruptures, uh, these kinds of things, failure. Uh, for um, modern social theory, things like truth and reality exist. Uh, they're, they're definable. They can be grasped. Mm. They're objects of our attention. For postmodernism, uh, it's things um, that we critique. So there's a critique of a certain tradition-bound analysis, right? So uh, what is truth and what is reality uh, doesn't exist in a vacuum, and we can't really even define them. Mm. Another one, uh, transparency or understandability. So for those who think that they are modern or use modern social theory, um, you know, there's not there's not a lot of things that prevent us from being rational actors. Mm. Uh, in postmodernism, everything or almost everything kind of has an if or a but. It can go either way. And uh, the last one is that uh, there's a certain sense of order of nature and of structures in modern social theory. In, in modern social theory, we can think of things like structuralism, yeah. having, you know, an order and a structure of things. Uh, and postmodernism is defined by ambivalence uh, all around. So human beings are generally ambivalent and there are no laws of nature. So those are the main defining characteristics. <sighs> oh, my brain. Okay. So the thing that, um, so in anthropology, uh, the postmodern turn happened in the sort of 80s, early 90s. And um, as we said in the Anthro 101, I explained kind of how that came about. But some of the best aspects of postmodernity is also the things that I display about it the most completely agree so it's the opposition to some of the worst things about modernist theory yeah those are the things i like about postmodernity. so um but then in the same hand it's it's the thing i dislike so when you said only like we can only know our own experience yes the problem with that is um, sometimes postmodern theorizing and works uh, turn into biography or autobiography actually yep and um i also think as an anthropologist who you know go and people who go and do field work, you can know someone else's experience a little bit, right? In a yeah. fragmentary yeah. way. And that's interesting too. So your interpretations of someone else's interpretations is interesting. And that's very postmodern, but it's like, well, how can you speak for somebody else? Yeah. I think, uh, I think postmodern social theory, we can accept and like and dislike the way that sometimes it's deployed. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I, I enjoy Baudrillard's uh, kind of ramblings and his musings around the nature of reality, but I'm not convinced that the way that others have tried to deploy it. So by saying things like, well, that table doesn't actually exist in front of you. And then you say, well, like I hit my head on it and my head's bleeding, you mm -hmm. asshole. Yeah. Uh, and they say, well, no, it's that we don't have to call it a table. It can be called something else, like the linguistics around things mm -hmm. and like the narrative, like some of that stuff gets to me. And you're like, when you're reading it, you're like, yes, but, or yes, and. and you're just trying, you're right. yes, and in like yeah. this theories. And you think like, well, then maybe this is just a work of philosophy. And if you think of some of these theorists as postmodern philosophers, then it's like, oh, I can read it as a philosophy. And then it's like, yep. like Merleau-Ponty or whatever. Yep. Um, another thought that just sort of popped in my head. There's a, so I did a whole few classes on this, but. Uh, one book that we uh, read was by Brennan, I think, or Brennanen or something like this. And it's called All That Solid Melts Into Air. Right, yeah. And it's a history of the modern turn. So back in the 1800s. And a lot of the ruptures, as you mentioned, and um, the ambivalence and the unknowability of the future that is uncertain of postmodern theorizing was actually very much present in the 1800s and the uh, peak of the Industrial Revolution because everyone was questioning where are we going, where have we yeah, been. Yeah. So the argument in that book is that there's nothing postmodern about this. It's just yeah. another phase of modernism. Yeah. The last thing I think we have time to say about it, uh, generally, as you were saying, it's conceived as something that started in the 1930s with French philosophers. Mm. Uh, however, you know, traditionally, or not traditionally, we conceive of postmodernism in a juxtaposition to modernism. Modernism, which generally is seen as something that came about with the Enlightenment, Mm. Um, but around the industrial revolution, we start to see tenets of postmodernism appear, mm -hmm. which makes sense, uh, because, you know, on paper and in texts, the, the work really starts in the 1930s. So you could probably find small snippets of postmodern type thinking mm. around the late 1700s. 
especially if you start looking at concepts like prevention, mm. uh, like some of my work around fire prevention uh, narratives starts around the late 1700s. Mm. And that's a really postmodern yeah. sort of thing. And it's just like the Generations episode that we just did. Yeah, um, exactly. All these divides yeah. that we think are all uh, set in stone, yeah. um, all that solid melts into air. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so for me, postmodern social theory is a friend. I think so too. Yeah. What do you, what, okay, what's next on your list, Matt? Um, next on my list is uh, dental floss and electric toothbrushes. Okay. Um, I am a little bit one, of a jump, but yeah. I'm one person who, I don't have any cavities and I don't floss. So I'm one of those people that everybody hates, right? Brush my teeth maybe once a day, always use a conventional toothbrush I get from the dentist, who I visit once every two years. Uh, I went 10 years before between dental visits. Using a conventional toothbrush, I floss maybe every six months. Yeah, maybe. Now I, fl- I floss a bit more, but... Yeah. After you eat ribs um, or something. I had uh, one cavity. Now, mind you, it was a big one. Needed mm. like a root canal. Yeah. But uh, in 10 years, no, no, no issues. Nothing. Uh, now I smoke, drink a lot of red wine. Yeah. You think your teeth would just be disintegrating? A little bit of coffee here and there as well. Mel uses an electric toothbrush. Maybe that's mm. too much info, but... Yeah. Um, I'll judge her forever. I hear it. Yeah. You know, it just sits on a charger. It seems to work about at the same capacity Does as a Does it sit on the toothbrush. charger all the time? Yeah, it has a Does smart battery. Does the battery die? No, it has a smart battery. Okay. This one's like uh, at least like seven years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Oh, okay. And what about, so would you say friend or foe? Like it's obviously a friend to dental hygiene, but as we've kind of established here, maybe it's not. No, you can't bring them camping. They're not portable. You need a charger. If the electricity goes out, you can't use them. Mm. You know what? Uh, electric toothbrush, foe. Yeah. I feel like it would give me a migraine if I tried using one. Yeah. So foe for that. Dental floss. I'm going to say friend. Yeah, you, no. There's a lot that you can do with dental floss outside of dental hygiene. Mm. Yeah, what about can... using it for fishing? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, it's a great accessory to have while you're camping. Dude, when I get home, I am going to pin my tomato plants up uh, onto the, dental floss. with dental floss. Yeah. Bam. Uh, if you need, uh, you're out in the woods, a uh, little tip, backcountry woods, and you cut yourself and you don't have like a very small fishing wire. Dental floss will work. Oh, yeah. Not the crap, that, not the new stuff that's like a flat piece of paper, but the round, normal dental floss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so for you, dental floss? Necessary evil. And uh, so, oh, God, the <laughs> foes that we don't want but have. Uh, okay, now the next one on, uh, on our list, Matt, fish. Oh, fish. <laughs> fish. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with fish, I think. Um, love salmon because I'm West Coaster. That's like our national or our regional cuisine. Um, I really like scallops, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll fuck is around with... a fish? Like, I'll fuck around with a shrimp as well, but that's about it. Is that is a shrimp a fish? Like... I don't think so. And I've been getting into... See, I'm... Not so seafood. this is seafood. Not seafood, So fish. for my entire life, I wouldn't even eat seafood, not even salmon. Okay. Um, so now I'm, like, getting into it. Now I'm starting to eat, like, some white fish as well. Um, and... I don't know. I don't like the fishiness of it. Like I would always eat ocean fish as well. Um, but I have been like really surprised at how much I like um, like lake trout yep. out here. Lake trout is good. It's really good. So that was fish for consuming. Uh, yeah. How about fish for other purposes? You know what? Uh, I, really, I really want to get my aquarium back. I had an aquarium as a kid. Uh, my grandparents yep. bought me one and I, I really want to get my aquarium going now. They're a lot more energy efficient now. I keep telling my wife. Yeah, they are. And she keeps saying no. And they don't crack as much as they used to. No, they're made flood. of like plastic and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. So I'm. I'm How thinking, about the sport yeah, of fishing? I love fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love fishing, and um, that's how that's how me and Phil actually became like we were like just talking about friends. that last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. We went out on a canoe together in the Ottawa River, I believe yeah, it was. It was with a um, pack of beer, pack of beer, and, probably a carton um, of smokes, and yeah. uh, fished away. Yeah, and like I don't even know if we brought bait. We just like no, we did. Yeah, I brought my tackle box. Time. I remember. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, because my tackle... I lost one of my favorite tackles that that day. Oh but yeah, I found a friend. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So sweet. And I didn't tip a canoe, which I'm famous for. Uh, you stood up a few times and I remember getting really mad <laughs> oh, really? at you. That's probably why I tipped so many fucking canoes. Uh, so for me, uh, fish are friends. Yeah, I think uh, I'm a friend of the fish. Friend of the fish. Yeah. Uh, what's next on our list? Um, I think, uh, I, I don't really have okay. anything. Uh, I have a, yeah. So I have Do you a have one more last one? Yeah. It's okay. a it, uh, BuzzFeed lists oh, or okay. listicles. So what yeah. I mean by the BuzzFeed list is the typical display of, uh, I don't know, your five favorite summer drinks. 13 uh, worst uh, plastic surgeries. <laughs> 27 ways you could die driving uh, a car. 
Mm. Uh, 13 ways people have uh, maimed themselves flying a kite. Yeah. Uh, these sorts of things. Yeah. And then BuzzFeed is like um, aggregator of these sorts of lists or is that all they do is just make these lists? Because I've never actually been to BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed has a lot them. of the lists that they make themselves. Okay. Um, and like, uh, you know, we planned our own wedding uh, last October. Yeah. So BuzzFeed uh, came in handy for their lists, unfortunately. So oh, sometimes, wow. yeah. So sometimes it was like... Uh, 10 things to save money on when you're planning your wedding. Oh, and, you know, cool. you'd look at them. Yeah. And it would be like, oh, yeah, I guess. There's you know. two things in here that are right. helpful and I'll take yeah. them. Yeah, that's good for like a 30-second look at a list. Why not? Yeah, but here's the problem with them. Okay. They're addictive. Yeah. And then once you go down the rabbit hole of listicles, you're staring at your phone or your tablet for hours yeah. reading fucking lists. Yeah, I love me like top five, top seven list. Um, are uh, Is there a problem with like sponsored content in BuzzFeed lists? Uh, I haven't ran into it, but I'm pretty immune to those sponsored sort of pop-up yeah. things. Like I just kind of close them. Yeah. It seems pretty obvious. I mean, if any of these sorts of friends or foes uh, are sponsored content and you've kept the money, I'd be pretty upset with you, Pearl. <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> I, I wouldn't never know, actually. <laughs> Take advantage of my brain injuries. So oh, me, Phil's my buddy. <laughs> so for me, uh, counterintuitively, BuzzFeed lists and listicles are actually a foe. Really? I'm, yeah, I think that they suck your time, they suck your productivity, they don't actually give you that much info outside of what you probably already knew. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, no. they are a foe for me. I'm a big time friend of the uh, the list. Uh, that's interesting that we uh, disagreed at this last one. All right. That's cool, man. That was really fun. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, it was a new new, new kind of format, new, yeah. new kind of thing that we wanted to do. And maybe we like, in the future, we shorten this up and have like little bonus segments around. I have like four maybe. pages of yeah. things that we could talk yeah, about. Yeah, I came in with like six and I'm like, oh, okay, Phil's got some work done for us. So um, maybe so, uh, let them know how they can reach us and stuff. If you've enjoyed or if you have not enjoyed this episode, if you have comments, questions, concerns, or considerations, you can reach us on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website, which also includes the archive to the show, is thesim.podbean.com. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. We are also on Facebook. So leave us some comments, like our page. We are at The Sim Pod. Thanks a lot, and we're going to come back with some recommendations. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Uh, Matt and Phil here. We have some recommendations for you. Uh, so Matt, what do you got for us this week? Okay, so this is perhaps the recommendation I've been most excited about. I've been holding on to this one in my back pocket for a while, and there's two of them. And these are two of the few TV shows I actually still watch. Um, the first one is Project Runway. Okay. I love me some Project Runway. Me what and my is Project wife, Runway? Okay, so me and my wife watch this together. It's hosted by Heidi Klum. It's her show. Um, the actor? The um, runway model, Victoria's Secret model, Heidi Klum, the superstar. Okay. And um, there's some co-hosts um, and a few other judges. And essentially, it's a fashion design reality show competition. So you get like, I think like 18 young, medium age and older designers Um into a room in like New York and they each week like have a challenge and then you get eliminated each week and so on. And then the final three go to New York fashion week, which is a pretty big deal for a young designer. Cool. And I like it a lot because it's like, it's all about construction and aesthetics and like, does that have good taste? Like, is that built well? Like I actually like it for the sort of, yeah, the architecture of it. Neat. Yeah. It's really fun. And then the other show that I just love and my wife and I watch together is the great British bake off. Okay, <laughs> this sounds a little bit more up my alley. Uh, explain to us what the Great British Bake Off so, is. So I love me some Great British Bake Off. Um, it's hosted by Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood. And the reason why I mention that is um, they are, uh, whoever produced the show um, originally sold it off to another network and they're completely changing the format. So I believe Paul Hollywood is still there, but they're losing 
Mary Berry, who's like the Martha Stewart of Britain, basically. Okay. And um, they have these two really funny uh, female comedians uh, who like just walk around the cooking room and talk to the contestants. Now, the thing that's funny about the Great British Bake Off is I can't tell that there's any sort of prize at the end other than a glass plate. Like there is no <laughs> cash prize. They're only doing it for not even to be on TV because these are like some of the most like the people you would not never put on television. They look look just totally normal. There's always maybe one or two attractive women and a couple of good looking young guys. Uh, but basically they're all like your moms and dads. And like the way they shoot it is very wholesome and it's just it's just like so a these are not professional show. bakers. No, or... no, they're home cooks. Yeah, that's oh, the thing. They're home bakers. See, so that's interesting. And now there's three segments in every show. There's like the initial one where it's like your signature bake, and then there's a technical challenge where you only get like part of a recipe. Right. Yeah. And you have to make some ridiculously hard like. Have you tried to recreate anything that they've created on the show? The only thing effect that it's had on me is that I bought a tart dish. Tart dish. Yeah. Everyone needs a good tart dish. Yeah, it's because I feel like I can make a lot of different things in that. So Do you have I've a good scone a, recipe now? Uh, I've already had a good scone recipe, uh, but I never make them because they're such a pain in the ass. They are a pain in the ass. I do everything with my baking by hand. I'm t- not a very good baker, but I love baking bread. Uh, love Great British Bake Off. Love Project Runway. Watch the shit out of those. Neat. What do you got uh, for us, Phil? So uh, my recommendation is a book. It's been a while since I recommended a good book. Oh. Uh, the one that I got this week and I've been... I eyed it like, uh, I guess last year at the bookstore and I went, nah, nah, I don't think I need it. And then we had some sort of like uh, coupon uh, for Chapters Indigo. So ordered it up. It is Walter Benjamin's Radio Benjamin. Uh, and that is edited by Lesia Rosenthal, translated by Jonathan Lutz. And it's produced by Verso, came out in 2015. It is a collection of his radio uh, stories uh, that appeared on air. Um, and, uh, his kind of musings about radio later on. So, um, you know, it, it starts off. So Walter Benjamin, uh, who was a sociologist, social anthropologist, one of those, he's a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything, polymath, uh, had a really interesting kind of methodology. Right. Um, so it was akin, um, to like, uh, you know, newspaper clippings, uh, I guess is one way that you could describe it. He was a clipper. So mm. he would assemble lots of different things. Mm. Um, the French kind of name for it is a feuilletonier. So someone who goes through the page, pages, which is the feuilleton. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it, it's very eclectic. Yeah, so social sure. writings are very eclectic. Um, what I've discovered with this book is that his radio shows are very eclectic as well. Oh, really? So oh, I was about to say, oh, maybe he focuses more in the radio. Not, not at all. at all. Okay. <laughs> Uh, in the section one of the book, it goes through some youth hour uh, radio stories for children. Um, oh, wow. Now, you would think uh, that these dense. sorts of, well, you would think that these sorts of uh, shows for children would be stories, children's yeah. stories, right? Yeah. They're not. Uh, yeah. The Mississippi Flood of 1927 oh. uh, was one. Uh, the Theater <laughs> Fire in Canton was another. Oh, yeah. uh, the Lisbon Earthquake was another. Okay. These are very, like, sometimes uh, more detailed histories of events mm. uh, than I've read in academic papers. Mm. Uh, they were presented uh, generally, so the, ra- the youth stories were presented on a 20-minute radio show. Mm. Uh, sometimes he reads long quotes from newspapers, uh, but he gives context, description, and then leaves you with kind of a parting thought. Uh, I read three of them in about half an hour. They are wonderful short stories. Wow. Um, that's cool. So they have a lot of like a good structure. It's almost like little podcast segments in a way. You know what? It was probably the pre-podcast <laughs> podcast. It wouldn't surprise me. Walter Benjamin can do that and he can do so much more. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, the second thing that I have to recommend, and I tweeted it out earlier today, if anybody's uh, listening to this, having followed our Twitter, uh, it is um, a course offered by the University of Alberta in conjunction with Coursera. Uh, it's free. It is called Indigenous Canada. The commitment is 12 hours, uh, 12 weeks of study, sorry, with roughly three to five hours readings and videos, lectures per week. Um, you can work at your own pace and the only assignments are short quizzes at the end of the modules. Oh, cool. um, so there are no deadlines and you're not expected to meet them. Yeah. And um, it's free. And it's it free. It is like absolutely The biggest free. barrier to education right there is the cost of tuition. Yeah. And, um, this is um, basically all those who've made the excuse, oh, I can't afford it. Boom, take one of these courses. So uh, from the U of A, University of Alberta website, uh, it says, Indigenous Canada is a massive open online course, so a MOOC, 
that explores Indigenous histories and contemporary issues in Canada. From an Indigenous perspective, this course explores the key issues facing Indigenous peoples today from a historical and critical perspective, highlighting national and local Indigenous settler relations. The topics cover include the fur trade and other exchange relationships, land claims and environmental impacts, legal systems and rights, political conflicts and alliances, Indigenous political activism, and contemporary Indigenous life, art, and its expressions. Uh, if you want to find out more, visit www.ualberta.ca slash courses, and you'll find it under Indigenous Canada. Uh, you'll also find it on the Coursera website. You'll also find it in the show notes to today's show okay. on our Twitter account, and we'll probably throw it up on our Facebook. I highly, highly suggest uh, for people to follow this up. Um, and we'll talk about it maybe more next week, but we might try to start a little uh, question and answer period about the course. I think this oh, is a cool. great idea. Yeah, that's a good it's idea. A, it's, a, it's a really good theme. Yeah. Uh, I think it's something that we all need to learn something about. Yeah, and I know, like, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. It's something that I'm going to pursue as well, so might as well just turn it into another segment. Yeah. Yeah, cool. That so, sounds really good, man. Thank so you. thanks for your suggestions. If you have suggestions for us or if you have questions concerns or considerations you can reach us on twitter at the underscore sim underscore pod you can email us at semi-intellectual gmail.com our website including the archives of the show is the sim.podbean.com we're on itunes stitcher google play or wherever else you catch your podcast your podcasts uh, we also have a facebook page it is at the SimPod. thank you so much for joining us this week this was a fun episode yeah had a blast man See you all next week. Talk to you soon. Friend or foe, you ain't no. Silver Surfer is a sexy bitch. <laughs> what? Silver, sil- s- Silver Surfer is a sexy bitch. Silver Surfer is a sexy bitch. Open. <laughs>